I'm Jen White, and this is Reset. After more than 40 years of public service in Springfield, John Cullerton is bowing out of politics this month. The Democrat from Chicago started his legislative career in the Illinois House in 1979 and moved to the Senate in 1991. For the last 11 years, he's been president of the Senate, where one of his first acts was shepherding through the impeachment of former Illinois Governor Rod Blagojevich. In that role, he helped end the two-year budget stalemate under Republican Governor Bruce Rauner and worked to give fellow Democrat J.B. Pritzker a string of wins in his first year, from legalized marijuana to a gambling expansion to a graduated income tax proposal that goes to voters later this year. I sat down with John Cullerton to talk about his long career in Illinois politics and how he feels to be stepping away from Springfield after four decades. Well, I got elected when I was 30 and I'm 71. So it's um, my whole uh, my whole adult life, it seems, you know, I've been down there and it's really been fun. I mean, there's been so many uh, really neat things, uh, people. Uh, I've served with 987 people, uh, past 583 bills um, where I was a chief sponsor and it's just been Amazing. I mean, everything from uh, when I first started, you know, getting involved in, in uh, believe it or not, uh, the first big bill I had had to do with car seats. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had this uh, marriage in 79, and we had babies in 81, 82, and 83. And the first one carried, my wife carried her home from the hospital. Uh, there was only one state in the nation that had a car seat bill. Uh, as soon as we had that baby home, we realized we got to put this baby in a car seat. So we, my wife started a loaner program for car seats. That's how I found out about it. I passed a bill to uh, require people to wear, uh, have put their kids in car seats. And it was a lesson because it, it was a bill that uh, was very limited. Just the parent in just their own uh, car, uh, knowing that that's what you have to do. And later and later, you kind of improve. Um, so that led to a seatbelt law. Um, believe it or not, there was only 15% of people wearing their seatbelts um, in the um, early 80s. I passed that bill. Uh, not easy. Again, it was a secondary offense just to get it started. So that's been very rewarding and a bunch of uh, more bills after that, as well as a lot of interesting people. If you had to narrow it down to one or two pieces of legislation um, you're most proud of, what would they be? Anything where you literally save people's lives is pretty powerful. You know, you press a button and you know that a certain number of uh, people are literally the, the fatality rate's going to fall. Or even in the, I, I've never been a smoker. I kind of hate tobacco. I've been after those people. The only people that are really happy that I'm retiring are the tobacco industry because I, I just I just think that the the lives and the, the money that it cost. So I've been pretty proud of those things as well. Um, there, you know, there's been a lot of things. I mean, I worked on death penalty reforms before we abolished the death penalty. Um, I've worked on the school funding formula pretty recently, uh, which uh, allowed for Chicago to get start to get the fair amount of money that they, but they that they have. In fact, I was in, around when we established the. Uh, the Chicago school reforms in the first place, setting up the local school councils back in the in late 80s. So it's been fun, uh, but it's also time to, to, to move on. When you first came to Springfield, legislating was a, a much more bipartisan affair. And, and when you look at, the, at Springfield today, do you think the pendulum has swung too far? Well, I'd like to distinguish ourselves from what's happened at the national level, um, especially this last year. Now, um, you know, we've had forced bipartisanship because the first 
28 years was Republican governor in Democratic legislatures, six, all but two years. One, there was one two-year period where they controlled it. Uh, but then um, after that, we, we did have the Bogoyevich years and the Quinn years. Um, and, and so we were uh, one party. Governor Rauner, four years, forced some bipartisanship. Uh, this last year, though, we really did come about at the end uh, with a lot of support from the Republicans. And we had a budget that was balanced. We had to take some votes on some tough taxes that the Republicans supported us on. So, uh, we, and I, my experience, having been in the minority in the Senate for 10 years, was uh, when I got to be Senate president, um, I just said, you know what, we're not going to get outvoted. We're a supermajority. Why not work with these guys? Get some ideas from the other party. You'll get a better work product. And so I've I've tried to I've tried to keep that as a principle. When you think back to the time when Governor Rauner was in office, of course there was a 736 day budget impasse uh, during that period of time. Where would you rank that budget impasse when you think about the biggest challenges you faced during your time in Springfield? Oh, it's it, it, it was it was horrible. Uh, because what we did, people say you didn't have a budget. Well, actually, unfortunately, we did have a budget because we we were funding schools. We didn't, like, stop and force ourselves to get a balanced budget. We overspent for two and a half years, some $6 billion each year. We just ran up bills. The income tax uh, fell from 5% down to 3.75. We never made up the difference. We kept on spending. So it was it was really bad, and we tried to, you know, the speaker didn't even meet with the guy. Uh, I did try to meet with the governor on a number of occasions. We just he just had such an animus towards the unions and Madigan himself, and spent all that money demonizing Madigan. It was it was horrible, and and eventually we did actually get with a grand bargain with Christine Madonio, uh, my Republican counterpart, who both of us got elected the same day. I, worked with her very well. We just said, you know what, we're going to start doing our star, our stuff independent of the speaker and the, and the governor. And it led to, eventually, uh, a balanced budget um, uh, over the objections of the governor at the time. Well, well, many people say it was your unique set of skills that finally broke the budget stalemate. How did you see your role in, in that case? Well, it wasn't just me. It was Senator Rodonio, as a matter of fact, who actually initiated the idea of working together to pass bills. Now, these bills were these were bills that that Republicans didn't like and that the Democrats didn't like. There were things dealing with tort reform or workers' comp changes that our party didn't want. There were taxes that the Republicans didn't want. We just wanted to show that this is crazy. What we do is, you know, we were underfunded higher ed. People were leaving our state to go to other schools. I mean, it was we weren't paying social uh, service providers. I mean, it was just horrible. And we didn't need to do that. It was unnecessary. So that was a big deal to get people to come together at the end. I think it was tough to do. but um, And once it happened, then when we had Governor Pritzker come in, that's how, that's what led to this bipartisan phenomenal year we had last year of of, uh, those major pieces of legislation. Where do you think Illinois will continue to feel the fallout from that budget impasse? Well, if you look at our budget, uh, we had to borrow a whole bunch of money to pay our vendors. And built into the budget every year is like a mortgage that you, payment that you have to pay uh, for the legacy of those past those past years. That's why the governor's proposed, and we passed, uh, all 40 of the Senate Democrats voted for the constitutional amendment that's on the ballot, uh, which will 
if passed, uh, lead to, since we also passed the rates to be included, uh, lead to money, and that money would be used directly to pay down uh, those, old, those, old, those old bills. Well, former Governor Rauner was a political neophyte. We have another political neophyte in office now, Governor J.B. Pritzker. What's your assessment of, of what he, how he's doing so far and what he still needs to learn? I, I was surprised. When he ran for governor in the primary, uh, we had one of our colleagues, Daniel Biss, running. Uh, I did not get involved in, in that primary, but I had members. I have dinner every night when we're in session with uh, not lobbyists, but legislators to get to know people socially. And everyone would, would say, you know, it's interesting, this guy Pritzker, who is really working, and he's really showing up, and he's not uh, coming across as some billionaire. He's coming across as a guy who really wants to learn. And uh, that was his attitude from the start. Um, it didn't hurt to have all that money, of course, that he used to, to fund his campaigns. Uh, but he also really, really, I think, uh, impressed people. And the same thing was true as a rookie, never having been in uh, government, this last year. I think he was willing to take advice, um, and uh, I, I think it proved that um, we were willing, after four years around, to give him a, a lot of leeway. Well, when you think about the last two governors in Illinois, these are both very wealthy men who were able to put their own money into their campaigns. What do you think about the future of Illinois and the way money may play into who's able to run for office? You know, ideally, uh, and the governor did provide money for the Democrats in the legislature. Ideally, though, I think to keep the independence of the of the General Assembly and the legislative branch from the executive branch, it would be better if that wasn't necessary. Uh, and, you know, when we run campaigns, both Republicans and Democrats, we go out and uh, and, and try to raise money. And we raise money from the traditional groups who care about the policies. The unions care about the policies, especially after Governor Rauner's four years, right? So they donate. And trial lawyers care about the policies, so they donate. Um, and so there's there's enough money there for people to run campaigns, and it would be best if it didn't, uh, you know, come from uh, just super uh, wealthy people or even, in this matter, from a governor himself. You told Fran Spillman of the Sun-Times Friday that Mayor Lori Lightfoot, another uh, newbie to politics, still has a lot to learn. And in the spring legislative session, she didn't get what she wanted from Springfield, um, a real estate transfer tax, a final plan for a Chicago casino. What do you think Mayor Lightfoot needs to master in order to be successful? Well, first of all, let me clarify. I, 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 I only pointed out that she didn't have the advantage just like we were talking about uh, the two governors, of having been in government before, right? And so, and especially not Springfield, which is totally different than, you know, than Chicago and the city council. And she's on a learning curve, but she's, I think she's doing very well. In, in some regards, uh, you know, she, she came down to Springfield uh, right away from the start, and she was a rock star. Uh, it's just that it's tricky. And the tricky part is that, you know, Chicago doesn't dominate the entire uh, state of Illinois. There's a lot of suburban and downstate interest. And so uh, if you come in and say, I want a special deal for Chicago, that's not the way, uh, that's not going to do well. Uh, What you need to do is make the argument that Chicago just wants its fair share. And that's what uh, we would be doing. In the case specifically of the casino, um, I know from being there and having worked on this, the language and the agreements between the governor and the city are all worked out, and it's fair for the rest of the state because it generates so much money, and it's used. What's it used for? It's used to pay for the capital bills, which benefit the entire state. So that's not what's going to be the hang-up. The hang-up had been, you know, always people coming along asking for more 
gaming-related issues. I think once those are put aside or negotiated, that issue, that can be worked so out. So it sounds like you, you think that my life with agenda can be achieved. I'm optimistic because, again, the state, the state, the whole state needs the money that would come from that, that, uh, that casino, and it's fair to the city because the city's going to make money as well. I want to pick your brain about the multiple ongoing federal investigations into Illinois politicians and their associates. What was your reaction when you heard the story WBEZ broke about political lobbyist Michael McLean and his 2012 email that refers casually, I think it's fair to say, to, quote, Jones's ghost, ghost workers and, quote, the rape in Champaign? Well, it was very disturbing, obviously, because those emails referred to things which are crimes, uh, rape or, or ghost payrolling. And obviously, it doesn't requ- require a legislative response. It requires an investigative response, a criminal investigative response. And hopefully, as a result of your uh, story, that's what's happening now. And uh, obviously, Mr. McLean, who uh, uh, is uh, somebody I serve with, actually, he's one of those 987 people I serve with. But many, many years ago, uh, he was over in the House, and he's spends most of his time in the House. I know who he is, but not very very close recently. But um, he's the one that had put that in an email, and he's the one that people have to find out what he's talking about and investigate it. Um, and I would point out that, you know, the, the, the number of people I've served with, the overwhelming uh, super majority of those folks are really good people, different parties, and it's been just a very few folks who have gotten in trouble over the over the years, and that's a stain, though, on our on our institution. I, I wonder how concerned you are about the impact these stories have on leadership because Michael uh, McLean was an associate of Illinois House Speaker Michael Madigan, who you, of course, know extremely well. And even though Madigan is not named in the email, of course, people connect their names. And are yeah. you concerned about the impact that well, has? Well, I, I think that might be really a leap because I don't, I don't see the speaker having anything to do with Mr. McLean's trying to intervene on behalf of somebody from his local town in some fashion. I, I, that's not something that the speaker would be in any way involved with. But, it, you know, people – look, I think the speaker has been targeted by Bruce Rauner. I told you he spent tens of millions of hours demonizing him and implying he's a crook with no evidence at all. The speaker's a very honest, to me, uh, hardworking, very knowledgeable person. Now, he's a tough negotiator. I've had to, you know, deal with him on the last 11 years. You can't pass a bill out of one chamber without the identical language passing the other chamber. And we've worked on budgets together and major pieces of legislation because it's by the nature of the institution. And so um, uh, I just don't see him being involved in this particular incident. I'd be shocked. So many politicians and associates have been targeted by the feds. Uh, Chicago Alderman Ed Burke and Danny Solis, uh, several state lawmakers, including a distant cousin of yours, State Senator Tom Collerton. And of course, in our legal system, there is the presumption of innocence. At the same time, there are these conversations happening at every level of government about the importance of ethics reform. With over 40 years of service under your belt, what reforms do you think are needed in, in Springfield to ensure elected officials aren't able to abuse their power or that there's a strong system of accountability if they do? Well, we set up this uh, commission, which has already started to be uh, going into effect. Uh, again, it's really embarrassing to go for all these years where, for the most part, the, there's been no 
Uh, uh, there's been governors who got in trouble, but not not any le- very few legislators. Uh, so it's 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 unfortunate. It may be that the actual laws that we have on the books are the laws that people are being charged with now, and that they're they're adequate. Uh, but if there's anything that we can do in terms of changing. Uh, maybe uh, lobbying rec- disclosures, that sort of thing. That might be the area that we would a- actually focus on, and and hope that the future, you know, je- my successors are are, are willing to work on that. How do you think it affects um, citizens' trust in government? Well, here, here's the problem. What's really been a dramatic change in Springfield is when I first got elected, there were 50 bureau chiefs. They were reporters who lived in Springfield. Mm-hmm. We've since torn down their offices because there's no four or five left. And so there's, there used to be local reporting, and there's very little of that anymore, okay? So people, there's plenty of investigative reporting, as there should be, as there always has been. But if you're only going to hear the bad things about the General Assembly being investigated, and there's, you're not going to hear anything about a, a daily report about what bills they passed and all that, you, you, it gets skewed. And, and I think that's one of the problems is that people have a really low impression of us, which is probably not fair, but it's, it's, it's what is where we are today. But, but don't you think that I mean, we're talking about elected officials, people who are responsible for legislating in the state. So even one incident is one I, too many. I totally agree with you. And the standards should be higher for elected officials. Uh, there's the presumption of innocence. That's in a criminal matter, which is obviously the, applies to everybody. But you know, you'd think that um, that uh, legislators would have a higher standard of, of of ethics, if you will, because of the, the public that they serve. And and I and again, I want to emphasize the overwhelming supermajority of people are like that. The people I work with, uh, both parties, by the way, I don't agree with them politically, but I, they're there to do the right thing. And there's been though, uh, I, I mean, a handful would be even the most after all those years. There are two other Illinois political leaders who I want to ask you about. First off, former Governor Rod Blagojevich. Blagojevich was the only governor of Illinois to ever be impeached. Okay, Governor Blagojevich lives, lived 500 feet from me. Mm-hmm. We live on the same street. Uh, when I got elected by my caucus, uh, my goal was to work with Blagojevich and Madigan, who didn't get along up until that point. And then he got arrested. And then he went into hiding. And then I, and then the House impeached him. And then I had to figure out before I was Senate president how to do an impeachment trial. What, what was that time like for you? It was amazing because I was focused on being the Senate president, passing a capital bill, which I hadn't passed in 10 years. And instead, I had to worry about uh, literally how to work on rules for an impeachment trial, which we did with Christine Madonio and uh, the Republicans. Um, then the day I was supposed to be sworn in, the governor had not appeared in public for a month. There was international press there from Korea and Japan to see this uh, event where he was going to show up, I was worried he might not even show up because if he didn't show up and we couldn't get, oh, I couldn't get elected, then I couldn't start his trial. But he did the night before say he's going to be there. Uh, we, he got sworn, he swore me in, and then an hour later I started his trial. And you may remember he didn't actually show up for the trial except for one day he came and gave a speech not under oath. Um, and I think he made a mistake in doing that. I think if he had shown up and told his side of the story, it would have been better. We obviously impeached him and said that he could never run for office again. And then we started working on passing a capital bill, which we passed then in, in 10 weeks, which hadn't been happened in 10 years. So we got right to work, um, but it was it was really uh, otherworldly, and uh, he still is in jail. Well, over the past couple of years, President Trump has appeared to flirt with the idea of pardoning, uh, pardoning Blagojevich. He's now about 
eight years into a 14-year sentence. How would you react if the, if the president... You know, the problem him? was this. I used to be a public defender. Uh, a lot of people plead guilty because you don't have to put the, the, the prosecution have to put on a trial. And as a result, they give you plea bargaining. They give you less of a, less of a sentence. If, if Rod Bogoyevich had done that right from the start, said, I'll resign the governorship, not put us through an impeachment trial, not put the government through two trials, he would have probably gotten about three years. Uh, his sentence was really excessive. He didn't actually, to my knowledge, make any money himself. It was about extorting money for his campaign. So perhaps it was much longer than he otherwise would have gotten. Uh, he also had some counts thrown out, and the judge still resentenced him to the same amount of time. So um, it, it, it's, it was a big sentence, uh, but a lot of it was his own fault, and it's up to the president to see what he wants to do. Well, you've said you're going to stay out of the process of choosing a successor. What skills or qualities should the people choosing your replacement be looking for? Uh, my goal would be, was when I got elected, was to have a united caucus. So I, I wasn't just trying to get the 30 votes needed to get elected. I, at, that, at that time, we had 36. I wanted to make sure all 36 people felt that they were part of the team. I spent a lot of time helping the people that even had voted against me. So that would be my goal, that this, whoever, this process, which, by the way, is the most humbling experience anybody can go through to ask your peers to elevate you to this high position. It's a, it's very presumptuous, and they remind you of all the little things that you didn't do right up to that point where you asked them to vote for you. So it's a really, really humbling and learning experience. Once that person gets elected, they really should be willing to bring the entire 40-person caucus together. And your advice to the person who gets the job? Uh, my advice is to um, work hard, be honest, uh, be uh, proud of your caucus, uh, uh, work with the governor and the speaker, and work with the Republicans so you can have a bipartisan record. And that's it for Reset. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back tomorrow with a brand new Reset, so watch your feed so we can talk again soon.